Hi, everyone. Welcome to Weed Talk News. I'm Elena Pinto reporting for Pro Cannabis Media. Cannabis advocates have been waiting to see Congress take serious action on federal reform, and it looks like leaders may be trying their hand at it yet again. Newly introduced 2023 spending bills for several departments, including Homeland Security and the USDA, each contain cannabis provisions, one of which most notably helps protect immigrants according to current policy. A person who admits to using cannabis, even in compliance with state law, is morally unfit for citizenship. But a proposed provision for DHS says the department couldn't use federal funding to deny admission to or deport immigrants who've used or possessed cannabis. Another federal financial proposal includes language to safeguard financial institutions that work with state legal marijuana or hemp businesses. So hopefully we'll see more movement on Capitol Hill. And with that, let's check in with Vote Pro Podcast Phil Adams in Washington, D.C. this week. Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast here with the Weed Talk News D.C. report. A candidate for the U.S. Senate is running on a Pot for Potholes initiative. Missouri Republican C.W. Gardner released a TV campaign commercial promoting a plan to federally legalize cannabis and earmark some of the tax revenue for repairing America's roads. In an interview with MarijuanaMoment.net, Gardner said, quote, It's two things that might not go hand in hand, but I think it's two pretty popular ideas. Gardner's approach is not exactly a new idea, however. Former Rhode Island Governor Lincoln Chafee proposed a similar plan in 2014 after his state decriminalized cannabis. The National Institute on Drug Abuse announced a plan this week to create a national medical marijuana registry. The registry would track purchasing and consumption patterns of cannabis patients along with their health outcomes. NIDA says the purpose is to, quote, inform research, policy, and clinical recommendation practices on medicinal cannabis. The agency says the broad diversity in medical cannabis programs from state to state makes it difficult to analyze the current policy landscape nationwide. It says the new registry would provide a level of standardization in the collection of critical data necessary to understanding the broader use of cannabis products and how patients are responding. One of the winners in this week's GOP primaries is sponsoring a bill to legalize cannabis on the federal level. South Carolina Representative Nancy Mace, who fended off a challenge from Trump-backed candidate Katie Arrington, is among a handful of Republican co-sponsors championing the State's Reform Act, an alternative to the cannabis legalization bills backed by Democratic leaders in the House and Senate. Among other provisions, the state's act would remove cannabis from Schedule One expunge prior cannabis convictions, impose a 3% federal excise tax on cannabis products, and generally treat cannabis similar to alcohol. In a statement, May said, quote, the state's reform act takes special care to keep Americans and their children safe while ending federal interference with state cannabis laws. That's the Weed Talk News DC report for this week. I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast. The immediate future is looking grim for WNBA star Brittany Griner as a Russian court has extended her detention behind bars. The U.S. government has classified her as wrongfully detained and major sports league leaders have rallied behind her release. She's been detained since March for an alleged vape cartridge in her luggage 
And now a court says she'll be there until at least July 2nd. She faces a potential of 10 years in prison if something's not done. Brittany Griner should not be detained. Uh, she, she should not be detained for a single day longer. We were last able to have consular access to Brittany Griner last month. Uh, we continue to press uh, for uh, regular continued access to all American detainees. But there are some good things happening overseas. Germany started holding expert hearings this week related to its cannabis legalization plan, which lawmakers expect to finalize by the end of the year. And meanwhile, Malta's first international cannabis exports are headed to Germany. The exports were shipped out of a city that's become the leading medical cannabis distributor in Europe. And government officials in Thailand have initiated a plan to give 1 million cannabis plants to citizens, distributing its first 100 seedlings just one day after legalizing cannabis cultivation and trade. And those are your international headlines this week. So now let's travel back to the States, specifically to Massachusetts, where we're checking out two award-winning entities this week, Smokehouse Barbecue and Bountiful Farms. Ron Marshallsea has that and more from Massachusetts. I'm Ron Marshallsea for Weed Talk News. This is the Massachusetts Cannabis Report. One development in a mature cannabis market is the emergence of the craft grower. That's defined as the smaller cultivator who can focus on quality, not mass quantities. The multi-state operators have taken their share of criticism from the emerging connoisseurs over craft growers, and one craft grower in Massachusetts is Bountiful Farms in Natick. PCM founder Jimmy Young took a trip down to their grow house in Lakeville for a little tour, and an announcement that the award-winning Smoke Shop Barbecue has teamed up with Bountiful Farms to create an infused barbecue sauce available at their Natick dispensary. Andy Husbands is the Smoke Shop Barbecue Master, and Zach Taylor is the head of cultivation for Bountiful Farms. He knows the challenges of commercial growing and competing with the big, multi-state operators. So one of the things that makes commercial cannabis challenging is when you look at the British thermal units that are needed to cultivate cannabis, it's much different than when you go to, uh, you know, an engineer, a, you know, a typical mechanical engineer and say, you know, this, my room is this many square feet, there's this many people that are occupy it. How you design that room is much different than you look at the British thermal units for plants themselves, as well as when you look at the carbon footprint of indoor cultivation, we tried to put, you know, our best foot forward when it comes to sustainability, as well as, you know, we're true passionate, um, you know, cannabis cultivators. So so, you know, we trim everything by hand and we put that, you know, that hand craft touch and try to find that blend and that passion and, you know, that complete perfect balance between art and science. You guys win contests. How important is it to have a first place, second place, second place, first place up on the wall? I think it's incredibly important. Um, I think that we're, we're trying to play in different games, uh, you know, and uh, the game that we're trying to play is quality over quantity. And that's what we care most about. And lastly, a Northeastern University survey of 88 communities found that Massachusetts cannabis companies have paid almost $53 million in impact fees to cities and towns in the state since adult use sales started in 2018. Kim Napoli, a longtime drug policy reform advocate and attorney for Vicente Cedarberg, calls it essentially legalized bribery. And in an article published by MJ Biz Daily, she talked about how the impact fees are too vague for comfort. That's this week's Massachusetts Cannabis Report. For Weed Talk News, I'm Ron Marshallsea. Bay State Cannabis Report is supported by Holyoke Cannabis, Holyoke's finest cannabis recreational experience.
A sad state of affairs in New York State as dozens of cannabis farmers say they're being forced to rip cannabis crops from the ground based on a surprise letter that limits the amount of land they can use. Just a few months ago, state regulators were touting the idea of giving average farmers the budding opportunity to jump on board the state's new legal operating industry. But the new guidance from the Office of Cannabis Management tells growers they can use no more than one and a half acres of land to cultivate, including paths and vegetating crops which must be frustrating for farmers when you consider the fact that indoor and greenhouse growers in the state only have to count flowering plants toward their canopy count. Next door though in New Jersey, more retailers are opening up shop and customers are responding in a big way. So let's check in with Jill Goldsbury with this week's New Jersey Report. Hello everyone, I'm Jill Goldsbury in Jersey with the New Jersey Cannabis News for We Talk News. And tonight, in fact, the Garden State is hosting its very first Cannabis Awards Gala. Yes, in fact, New Jersey Cannabis Insider is hosting this very special event. It's the first ever Cannabis Awards Gala celebrating the individuals and companies that have helped shape the industry. It's a formal affair at the Cataract Performing Arts Center. And from what we understand, it'll be unlike anything New Jersey has seen before in the cannabis space. So look out for more news on that. And in fact, Pro Cannabis Media has a little bit of the inside scoop on that. We've learned of the winner of the event's first award and who it goes to. So today we'd like to congratulate the inaugural winner of the 2022 Lifetime Achievement Award, which goes to Bill Caruso. Bill Caruso chairs the cannabis group for Archer and Greener PC. He also serves as managing director of Archer Public Affairs. And in fact, he was general counsel for the New Jersey Cannabis Business Association. So he's pretty well connected in the industry. And in fact, in 2020, he was part of the spearheading of the November 2020 ballot initiative to legalize cannabis for personal use. So he has definitely done quite a lot for the industry. So we wanna congratulate you, Bill Caruso. And in other news, if you love gambling or just hitting the whole scene in Atlantic City, this one is for you. Atlantic City is poising itself to become the latest hub for cannabis on the East Coast. And that comes from Kashawn McKinley, the Director of Constituent Services and Special Projects for Atlantic City. So from what we understand, Atlantic City wants to use marijuana sales to increase tourism. And in fact, the city is in an impact zone. So which underneath, under the new state cannabis law gives it priority for certain cannabis licenses, plus resources and funding from the Cannabis Regulatory Commission. Uh, according to McKinley, the city of Atlantic City wants to use the new cannabis industry in, as an addition to what, we, what they already have to offer. So look out for that. It sounds like Atlantic City is the place to be this summer. I'm Jill Goldsberry in New Jersey with the New Jersey Report for Cannabis News. And that is it for us. Thanks. Panic in Pennsylvania? For the past five years, the state has had a contract with software builder MJ Freeway, making it the required vendor for medical cannabis operators. But that contract expired in April. And while MJ Freeway has been saying the contract is renewed, regulators say they're actually just looking into year-by-year -year extensions. 
So no company is locked into a multi-year contract again. Well, let's get more from the Keystone State this week. Here's Claudia Post. I'm Claudia Post from Scarlet Express, and I'm here in the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, reporting for We Talk News. So, okay, nobody likes MJ Freeway. It's one of the many seat uh, to sell software programs that's out there. And of course, the state of Pennsylvania chose what we think is the worst one. Uh, one of the reasons uh, none of the operators like them, they are not communicate, communicative and they are not customer centric. They don't even answer the phone. So people are extremely frustrated with MJ Freeway. Now, in April, Pennsylvania's MJ Freeway contract expired. Then, brilliant state regulators, despite all of the complaints from cannabis company operators about the software bugs and the cost and, oh, it's just awful service. Why then did the regulators choose to extend a one-year contract to them? Because the one-year, they have offered us three one-year contracts. Of course, they didn't prepare and they should have looked for another for a replacement, but of course they did. Meanwhile, MJ Freeway has told operators that the contract has been renewed and now is pressing operators into long-term expensive tech support contracts. How ridiculously unfair. What's wrong with our regulators? I am sure this will be fought in court. In fact, Meredith Butner uh, said there's a tremendous amount of frustration. She is the head of the State Cannabis Trade Association. Next up in news is Juicy Holdings, which again is delighted because um, the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania lifted the stay of temporary injunctive relief in the case challenging the vaporization product recall. If you remember back in February, they recalled all the vape products of all the shelves in all of the dispensaries, unfairly, mind you, of course. In fact, the court noted that the department itself approved the recalled products for patient use. They did that previously. So now they said that, yes, they had the right quality, they were safe, they were this, they were that. So why were they recalled? I don't get it. There was no proof or evidence of one single adverse event. I mean, okay, Pennsylvania. On Wednesday, a Commonwealth Court judge allowed Pennsylvania medical marijuana companies to resume selling vapes that were taken off the shelves in February. Jeez, wow, it just takes forever. Next up, Curaleaf celebrates the opening of a new dispensary right in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This is the company's fifth new location to open with the key, within the Keystone State this year, expanding their retail presence to 17 locations in Pennsylvania and 134 nationwide, with more expansion planned in our lovely state. So that's a wrap from Pennsylvania. I'm Claudia Post from Scarlet Express. And I'll be back next week to talk about what's hot and what's not in Pennsylvania. So from We Talk News, have a fabulous week. A Missouri man running for U.S. Senate is taking his campaign tactics down a whole new path. 
combining cannabis with infrastructure improvements. When I get to Washington, D.C., I plan on introducing my Pot for Potholes legislation. Legalize marijuana at the federal level and take a portion of the tax money collected to bankroll research and development for pothole eradication. Candidate C.W. Gardner releasing this ad to encourage people to support him for the Show Me State Senate seat, saying he'll take cannabis policy straight to Capitol Hill. Brandon Jones has much more in this week's Missouri Report. Hey everybody, Brandon Jones again from Distribution Maven with the Missouri Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. And that's right, C.W. Gardner is not really uh, very big uh, hopeful for actually getting elected, but he did come up with a great tagline, it's called Pot for Potholes. So his actually agenda is to get federal legalization, which we all know is a little bit uh, far sketched to actually happen, but he thought that the actual money coming back from the taxes from federal legalization from marijuana or cannabis sales could help fund to, uh, to fix all the streets in Missouri. And so we called it pot for potholes. Pretty catchy, but I doubt he's actually gonna get elected. Uh, I just did want to talk about uh, what happened here last week it was absolutely outstanding. The patients out of time event, it was where doctors and nurses can come get continued education credits to learn about the endocannabinoid system here in Kansas City. Some great speakers from all over the country and some, a couple from abroad. Dr. Uma from Harvard was absolutely amazing. Todd Scatini, a former West Point uh, instructor, also had some amazing information to go with along with the, all the other speakers' panels. I really want to thank April Hatch and Dolores Hablin for bringing that event to us. Kansas City was greatly in need. Uh, the benefit dinner was held at the Midland Theater. Uh, the, the Senator from Kansas actually came and spoke talking about how she's trying to get and was frustrated with cannabis not being uh, passed in that state. And she's very hard working to try to get on. So we're very excited for that. The event was only less than two miles away from the state line where you know cannabis is still not allowed in Kansas at all. So a lot of education here in Kansas City. Very, very great for all the people that came here and brought the education and just awareness to our city. So thanks again for everybody from Patients Out of Time. Great, great event. My last story today is a little bit uh, harsher. So we talked about how the licenses were getting passed out and we didn't know how some companies passed where others didn't. Well, three actual licenses were given, were taken away and sold that they need to be transferred by June 30th. So Archimedes Medical Holdings and Holistic Health Capital both uh, are have to be have their uh, facilities transferred by June 30th. Otherwise, DHSS is taking over. Uh, evidently, there were some bad practices uh, not being uh, kept clean, not keeping supervised, turning off their security cameras for periods of time. So they've got caught. Finally, at least we need to hope that they're actually doing some regulation here with the licenses. So thanks again. I'm Brandon Jones from Distribution Maven with the Missouri Cannabis Report for We Talk News. Have a great week, everybody. Stay medicated and educated. California hasn't exactly been the poster child for legal cannabis. In fact, What's happened in the Golden State is almost a perfect example of how not to go about legalization. And now it seems their hemp industry may be taking a hit too, as the state's Department of Food and Agriculture seeks to fill several vacancies on its Industrial Hemp Advisory Board. Christopher Smith has more on what's happening in California this week. Greetings from the center of the cannabis universe. I'm Christopher Smith. This is the California Roundup for Weed Talk News. First, Congratulations to our Golden State Warriors for winning the NBA championship last night, four games to two, with three-point magician Steph Curry winning the MVP. I'm sorry, Jimmy, but your Celtics are going to have to wait another season to get up on the podium. Andrew D'Angelo, brother of Steve and himself one of the founders of the famed Harborside Dispensary in Oakland, California, 
has written an op-ed for Forbes that lambasts the weak and short-sighted politicians that are driving the multi-billion dollar California cannabis industry right off the pier. As he says, everyone in the state knows it's broken, but no one knows how to fix it. Governor Newsom has offered to reduce one tax but raise another, essentially rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. The last remaining solution, lawsuits, and ballot initiatives in 2024, the good governor had better duck. But don't despair, California fans. Not everything is so bleak. Snoop Dogg is still here in the Golden State, and he's reacting to the economic challenges faced by his blunt roller by giving the man a raise. Point one, it's true. There's a person who gets paid to roll blunts for Snoop Dogg. That's a real job in California. I know you're jealous. Point two, that person makes between forty and $50,000 a year, plus free weed, and sometimes a little clothes thrown in. Hey, it's not as good as working for Jenny Argy down in New York, but sounds like a good gig. The Cannabis Business Times reports that Sacramento officials have introduced a measure to create a fund for children and youth services using city local cannabis taxes. The Sacramento Children, Youth, Health, and Safety Act, introduced by Sacramento Kids First, a youth advocacy coalition, would require the city to invest the equivalent of 40% of revenues generated by the city's local cannabis tax from our unrestricted general fund into the, the Children's Fund. If approved by voters, it would go into effect July 1st, 2023, with roughly 10 to $12 million allocated toward children and youth services annually. Not bad. And finally, Harris Brick and Law Firm reports that uh, reports updated information on the clown show that is the LA County or the Los Angeles Cannabis Tax Lottery, the retail lottery. The Department of Cannabis Regulation, DCR, anticipates the lottery to occur in the winter of 2022 with the social equity verification applications due July 25th. So hurry up and get your applications in. The DCR will select 125 applicants for further processing, but losers will then be too late to apply for state licensing. What a mess. I'm Christopher Smith. I'm publisher of the American Cannabis Report, bringing you California's cannabis update for Weed Talk News. Cannabis cultivators in Washington state are adjusting to new pesticide rules, which we told you about last week. Regulators say, though, it's an effort to keep product and patients safe. And it looks like the same thoughtfulness is being expanded to retailers as the state announces new security initiatives for shops hit by robberies. Josh Kincaid has the details from Washington state. I'm Josh Kincaid from the Talking Hedge with the Washington State Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. State Liquor and Cannabis Board announces a free voluntary security assessment for pot shops. The Liquor and Cannabis Board announced that it contracted with security management firms to provide voluntary free of charge on-site security assessments of individual cannabis retailers. The move comes after pot shops in Western Washington have seen a dramatic increase in armed robberies, some of them turning deadly with almost 100 armed robberies for the year so far. Among the security services that are going to be provided, that includes working with retailers to assess security risks, as well as review criminal threats facing the retailer, evaluate and document present mitigations and suggest solutions for that implementation, and then provide retailers with a report of their findings. 
The impact for all of this is going to be the latest initiative by the LCB to help retailers protect themselves, their employees, and their customers from the spate of recent cannabis retail robberies in the Puget Sound corridor. Next week, you guys are going to find out more about the Washington, Washington State cannabis scene. But with that, we're going to have to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid from the Talking Heads reporting for We Talk News. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Michigan may let 18-year-olds work with weed. This week, the Michigan House of Representatives Regulatory Reform Committee heard testimony about allowing people as young as 18 to work in the cannabis industry. Right now, you have to be 21 or older to work in cannabis in alignment with the age restriction on consumption. But it sounds like some folks would like to see that changed. Michigan Normal Executive Director Rick Thompson has the rest of this week's Michigan Report. Hello again, everyone. This is the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson on Weed Talk News. Let's begin. I've called this the year of great reckoning in the cannabis industry, and that is proving to be true. A recent decision by Terrapin to significantly downsize their Michigan operations was a shock to many, as that multi-state operator was seen as insulated from the damage being done by fluctuating cannabis prices in Michigan. Recently, the hated cannabis company Skymint permanently shuttered their Bay City store, and the internet is full of buzz about other store closures for them and their recently acquired 315 cannabis chain. Certainly, the plunging price of retail cannabis has a lot to do with the success of retail and cultivation operations, but dried up sources of funding has inhibited construction and the launch of new buildings in Michigan. Many companies which relied on international investors are having a hard time paying their premiums to those money lenders, and their insatiable investor demands may drive them out of business. A red carpet premiere of the film The Sentence of Michael Thompson is scheduled for this Sunday in Flint at the newly renovated Capitol Theater. The film follows Michael's daughter, Rashonda, as she and others try to get Michael Thompson out of prison for cannabis-related crimes. You may remember Michael was the longest-serving nonviolent offender in Michigan history. His release was achieved through the combined efforts of Sean King, Montel Williams, the Cannabis Caucus of the Michigan Democratic Party, Last Prisoner Project, Michigan Cannabis Freedom Coalition, and others. The red carpet arrivals are scheduled for 3 p.m., and the film begins at 4. I'm told folks are flying in from all over to attend this event, and you can register on Eventbrite, and there's no charge at all to attend. Now, to work in the medical or adult-use cannabis industry in Michigan, you must be at least 21 years of age. Is that limit outdated? A new proposal would lower the minimum age for work in the cannabis field from 21 to 18. House Bill 6061 received a committee hearing Tuesday, June 14th in the House Regulatory Reform Committee. The bill's sponsor is Democrat Kevin Coleman from Westland, who says it will allow people to jump right into the industry instead of waiting to achieve their dreams. And it might alleviate worker shortages he imagines there are in the cannabis industry. Now, critics of the bill believe it's a blatant attempt to open up a cheaper labor pool so companies can charge less money for the same amount of work. 
now, which is a change that doesn't help the communities in which they're located and does not help the workforce at large. The bill will get a second hearing at which there will be a vote. It has had a long way to go before it's ready for the governor to sign. Oh, cannabis sales in Michigan dropped 4% in May, but that's compared to April's record-setting pace. And that's according to new data available from the Cannabis Regulatory Agency. Now that's still $186.4 million in one single month. It goes on record as the state's second highest sales total ever. Medical sales continued their plunge and recorded the worst month of sales since January 2020, dropping almost 14% from the previous month. Adult use sales were off by nearly 3%, but are still up more than 50% from one year ago. Overall, cannabis sales are up by 27% over last year's pace, even though the average price reported for a pound of flour dropped 2% per maple to $2,090 per pound. And that's it for the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson for Weed Talk News. Down south, Trulieve, one of the country's largest multi-state operators, has opened shop at a new location in Port Ritchie, Florida. And at the same time, regulators in the state have proposed new rulemaking on hemp extracts for consumption. So let's check in with Heather Allman for more from Florida this week. I'm Heather Allman from Cannabis Law Report with the Weed Talk News Florida Report. Planet 13 has cultivation, production, and dispensary operations in Las Vegas and in Orange County, California, but they also hold a coveted medical marijuana treatment center license in Florida. According to a recent press release, Planet 13 has an aggressive growth strategy that includes six Florida locations, and last week they announced their third dispensary will be located in the city of Ocala. Planet 13 is heavily targeting major Florida population centers with underserved communities and residents, and their new Ocala locations will be across the street from a Walmart Supercenter and an IMAX theater. Quality and convenience indeed. As reported last month, Bo Wrigley's cannabis company Parallel is plagued by lawsuits alleging fraud. Although they are embroiled in quite a sticky situation in the courts, Parallel is opening a third Zotero wellness location in the city that just got out of the courts, Miami. As we reported in late May, Miami officials finally voted 3-2 to award an operating license to the city's first medical cannabis dispensary, and the area has seen a rapid cannabis growth explosion since that decision. In order to meet the community's growing demand, Parallel recently announced the opening of the new Sotero Wellness Dispensary in Miami with easy access to I-95, making it their third location in the Magic City. The grand opening celebration and ribbon-cutting ceremony occurred on June 16th with the unveiling of a special art creation for Sotero by internationally known local artist Douglas Hoxima, a.k.a. Hoxo. The new Sotero dispensary is conveniently located among the suburbs of Kendall, Pinecrest, the Hammocks, and South Miami. In neighboring news, Alabama's medical cannabis market is expected to launch next spring, roughly two years after Governor Kay Ivey signed it into law in May of 2021. The Alabama Medical Cannabis Commission met on June 9th to discuss plans to develop regulations for the program where they heard presentations from officials who now oversee the medical cannabis programs in Ohio and Louisiana. Cannabis Commission members will now submit proposed rules for publication on June 21st, kicking off a 35-day public comment period. 
after which the 14-member commission will hold a public hearing on July 14th. Their next official meeting to adopt the rules will follow on August 11th, and the final rules for Alabama will be published on August 31st. Alabama will ultimately license up to 12 cultivators, 4 processors, 4 dispensaries, and 5 vertically integrated businesses that can cultivate, process, transport, and sell medical cannabis at up to 5 dispensary locations. Alabama's medical cannabis law allows qualifying patients to access cannabis in the form of tablets, capsules, tinctures, gelatinous cubes, topicals, suppositories, and nebulizers. However, like Florida's rules back in 2016, Alabama's budding medical cannabis program initially will prohibit traditional edibles like brownies, as well as whole cannabis flour and all smokable products such as vape pens. But hey, a medical cannabis program of any kind is a welcome blessing for our sister state of Alabama. That's a wrap for the We Talk News Florida Report. I'm Heather Allman from Cannabis Law Report. And finally, cannabis consumers have been suspicious for a while that what you hear isn't always what you get, meaning a strain you get in one state, say gelato in California, may not be the same gelato in New Jersey. And now there's a study that proves it. Researchers from Leafly published a study that found cannabis labels do not consistently align with the observed chemical diversity of the product. They also found the labels to be inadequate to communicate to consumers the full range of cannabinoids and terpenes, which is increasingly being used as a factor to find the ideal cannabis product over something like an indica or sativa classification. So do your due diligence and be weary of what you smoke. After all, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it wisely. And that's it for Weed Talk News this week. I'm Elena Pinto for Pro Cannabis Media. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we break, break it all down. down.